We're here at this meeting to discuss the topic of attitudes. Um, first of all, my name is Caroline, and I am an Al-Anon, a grateful Al-Anon. When Judy called me and asked if I would take the topic of attitudes, and I did accept, I thought, oh, I know a lot about that. And the, my first thought was, what is an attitude? I had read all the pages in the ODAT book that gave topics of attitudes, but I wanted to know the true meaning, and I looked it up in the dictionary. And the meaning of an attitude is a feeling or an opinion which encompasses just about everything I am today and everything I feel and everything I do and everything I think. I uh, Yesterday morning was in my room upstairs. My spouse had gone to a meeting, and I had opened the windows, and I had ordered breakfast, and I sat there eating breakfast, smelling the fresh air, listening to the traffic outside, looking at the pretty scenery. I was alone, but I didn't feel alone, and I was really feeling good, and I was enjoying that moment. I thought how different it was for me four years ago to this month, almost to this time, this exact time and week, what I felt four years ago. Four years ago, I was in my room, <coughs> laying in my bed with a big decision. The big decision for me at that time was what time of day I was going to take a bath. I can we can I can laugh about it and I can appreciate your laughter today because when you laugh I know you understand. But I realize today that I am I do have a disease. I am a codependent. And I didn't get that disease when I married Sid that I've had it all my life. I lived in an addicted family. It was confusing at first when I got to a treatment center and they said that I was sick. And when I did start listening, I realized that I was sick, but I realized I didn't become that way from marrying an alcoholic. I realized I had felt that way all my life. And I couldn't figure it out because my father and mother didn't drink. But our household was just like the households I heard talk about in the disease of alcoholism and families. And I saw then when they talked about the addictions, my father was a gambler. In our household, we lived with all the fear, the anxiety, and the lack of any concern for anyone, the walking on eggshells that we hear about all the time. And I knew that I had a disease also. But getting back to yesterday, to that morning four years ago, I had, through this disease, I had become literally a non-functioning adult. Mary this morning talked about her 33-year-old daughter who was her mother. And I understood what Mary was talking about because I had chosen, well, more or less it worked out that way, that our second daughter became my mother. I had, at that time, a daughter-in-law, a granddaughter, a son, three sons, and an unmarried daughter living in our household at the time. And I felt like a child. I lay there that morning and kept trying to think of something that would excite me to get me out of bed. And I must have thought of ten different things, and nothing in this world was interesting enough or challenging enough for me to get out of the bed. 
And I, there were times when I doubted my sanity because as a teenager, I always loved life. I loved being with people. I loved doing things. And I loved being involved in life, learning new things. And four years ago, nothing interested me anymore. Um, I felt that if I could take a bath, maybe sort of decide what was to be fixed for supper and wash a load of clothes, that I was functioning okay. And I felt if I could do one or two of those things that I could remain sane. And some of you may wonder why I didn't seek psychiatric help. In my situation, I didn't dare speak of how I felt inside and the confusion and the mixed emotions I felt because I was married to a psychiatrist. And I knew if I opened my mouth, or I thought if I opened my mouth, I knew where I was headed for a mental ward somewhere to be treated with drugs or locked up or whatever. I had suicidal thoughts and that scared me because I couldn't figure out why I was functioning like I was functioning. And I thought in my mind that if I didn't like how I was functioning, then I should change it and I would make up my mind to change those ideas. Only for the next day, <coughs> excuse me, or the next week to find myself doing something that I had promised myself I wouldn't do. And that just reinforced my, my thoughts that I was going insane because I figured if I was doing things that I thought I didn't like doing and I kept doing them, that something must have been wrong, that maybe I had a brain tumor that was causing me to malfunction. But it turned out that this daughter, that um, I had more or less given the run of the house, I would write checks and let her go to the store because I didn't want to make any decisions anymore. And I depended on everybody. I manipulated and I conned to get things done or not to do things. And it turned out that this daughter, I have to thank her today and I have many times, took the courage to go to a place and get information to see about treatment for our son, our 20-year-old son. And that was the beginning and that's how I basically ended up getting to this program because through the intervention of putting that son in treatment for drugs and alcohol, my spouse ended up in treatment. And I remember getting there at the treatment center and I have six children and some were married at the time. And I remember going, we had to commute every day. There was no treatment center in our area, so we had to commute about 50 miles every day to go for family weeks and visits and so forth. And I remember trugging along. Our oldest son, first my husband did the driving. And then when he went into treatment, I was panicked because I, I had not driven much that last year at all. I was afraid to get in the car. I was afraid I would kill myself or kill someone else and I didn't want that responsibility. So I chugged along with my children as a child. I let them do the leading and take me, telling me what to do and when, where I had to be and where to go. I got to that treatment center and they said I was sick, that we were, we had a family disease. 
And I thought in my mind, there's nothing wrong with me. It's Sid, and it's my son. They're the ones that have the problem. But I did sit through a discussion on the family disease, and they drew out all these diagrams on the blackboard with all these character defects of all the dependents, the children, and the spouse, and the wife, and a family, and it was my family. It was me. It was my oldest son. It was my daughters. We just fit. We just fit like little jigsaw puzzles into all those little pieces that they had drawn up there. And I knew I was sick. <clears throat> they told me to go to Al-Anon. And I knew I was desperate at that time. I needed another way of life. I didn't like the way I was living at all. I didn't like the way I was feeling. I wanted that freedom that I felt as a child, that trust in God, that trust in other people, and that trust in myself, because I had lost all of that. And Al-Anon has done that for me. It's a miracle that I'm here today. And I sat there yesterday thinking God has really worked in my life because I knew I had tried everything. When I heard that first step, they said, you're powerless over alcohol. I knew what they were talking about because I knew in 26 years of married life that I had tried everything. But getting back to changing attitudes, as a mother, before I got to this program, I felt that I was, first of all, I was Leon and Agnes's daughter, second, that I was Sid's wife, that I was Denise, Andrea, Renee, Sydney, Eddie, and Pierre's mother, and the grandmother of seven. But today, I don't feel that way. Today, I am Caroline. I'm me. I'm all the bad parts and all the good parts. And I think that's what I, w I know what Mary talked about, too, about not knowing who she was. I didn't know who I was before I got here. But only through the program of Elanon and the 12 steps and you people interpreting those 12 steps to me that I've learned who I am, good or bad. And it's given me a way of accepting of being who I am today. Um, today, I'm Caroline. I have a husband, said, and I have six children and I have six grandchildren. Because in the way I functioned before, I felt I was there for all of them. Everything I did depended on whether someone would like it or whether someone would appreciate it or that I had to do that for them. And today I know that I don't. The program has allowed me to make those choices. Today I can let those children be what they are and accept them for what they are and not try and get them to fit in those six little molds that I had set out. And I struggled to get them to fit in those little molds. Today, our son that initially started all of this will have four years sobriety at the end of this month. Our oldest daughter came into Al-Anon and then after her fourth step switched to AA and she had two years in July. And my husband will have four years uh, September. Um, there's just so much, you know, with the topic of attitudes being feelings and opinions that I guess I could spend a whole, whole hour here talking. But on opinions, I was righteous before I got here. 
If someone didn't think my way, then I scratched them from my book. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. And looking back now, if they didn't agree with me, then I felt insecure and I felt rejected. But today it's okay for someone to have an opinion, and it doesn't necessarily have to be mine. I was laughing last night, leaving the meeting. Uh, Sid asked me what time I had to be here this morning, and I said, oh, very early, 10.30. And he said, that's not early. I said, that's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an artist, and today I can say that. Um, after I had literally did nothing the latter years of the disease, um, and then about three months after into the program, and Alan on telling me to do, to take care of me, and I realized I had to let the children go, and I had to let Sid go, and I had to take care of me, and I started on some artwork, and I felt terrible. I felt emotionally horrible. And I thought, my heavens, what's happening? I've been in the program three months and I'm supposedly learning all these things and I feel bad. So I talked it over with people in the program. And what I was doing <clears throat> was I was taking all those feelings that I had before and bringing them to what I was doing today. Because before when I did something, it was for someone it was for payment from someone, or it was for a certain room in the house, or it was a gift for someone. And I had to learn to change the feelings that went with doing what I did. First of all, I had to accept the fact that God gave it to me as a talent, and I had to accept it as a gift, and to use it. And today, when I do some artwork, which I did last fall. I took out my brushes and my oils again, and I painted. And I could not believe the change in what I did. Because when I painted this time, I was painting because I wanted to. I was painting because I enjoyed it. I had no specific reason to do whatever I was doing. I just wanted to do it, and I was enjoying it. My neighbor came over and just could not believe the work that I had done. She said, it is so different from what you've ever painted before, and I had to agree with her. My coloring had changed, my light, there's just a vibrant feeling to the paintings. And the only thing I can attribute it to today is to the program. I've changed so much inside, and I've had to change a lot of my attitudes and I've had to change a lot of my opinions. But today I'm grateful for that. I'm totally grateful. I lost my mother last March, and today my father is in the hospital in New Orleans, and he's had two heart attacks, and I'm not sure that if when I leave here I may be going home to his funeral instead of going home. But I'm okay with that too today. I visited my father last Saturday, and on his sickbed, he looked at me, and he said, you don't love me. But this spring, I had done a fourth step on my father, and I had told him I forgave him. 
and I ask him to forgive me. He's made no knowledge that he received the letter or that he has forgiven me. But today I can come here and feel good about myself because I tried. And that's his opinion today. And I do love him. The only thing I can feel today for him is compassion, that he doesn't have this program and he doesn't understand the way most of us understand. Because before I got to this program too, I also lost love. That was, I think, most devastating to me because I had lost the capacity to love. And I just attributed it to, well, when you get 45 years old, you know, your hair turns gray and your teeth get bad and you just lose love too. But it's just gone. And it was so neat to get into this program and to feel love again. I know today the love I feel for my husband said, the love I feel for my children, it's better than it's ever been in my life. It's all come back, all those good feelings. To me, attitudes can either be a negative or a positive, and Al-Anon teaches me to devote most of my time to being in the positive attitudes instead of the negatives, because I lived in a negative world before I got here. Nothing measured up, and I strive to have everything measure up to my standards and my expectations. And as we all know in this disease, nothing measures up. In fact, it just gets worse. So I was quite relieved when I got here and someone gave me a guideline, those 12 steps, that I could go on living and enjoy life. I'm glad to be here today and I'm glad you all are here so that I could be here. So I'll open the floor for discussion. Someone would like to come up and talk about attitudes. I could ramble on for two hours with all the things that have happened to us in the last four years and they've all been for the better. Is there anyone who would like to come up here? Come on. <coughs> I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I don't know how you're supposed to introduce yourself at these things. My name's Julie, and I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> and I think I, well, I know I also qualify to belong here because I'm relatively newly married, and my husband, <clears throat> when I was in treatment down at Scripps, Dr. Minio's wonderful hospital, fantastic place, just um, a month ago, my husband came down to visit me for family week, and um, he wound up getting admitted, which was a big surprise to me. <laughs> Because, see, I didn't know he was an addict. He seemed normal compared to me. But um, uh, I've really been wanting to come to Al-Anon now because uh, he's down there. And, of course, we get on the phone a lot and we talk about my program and his program. And what he's doing, we were in the same group and we're in the same place and a lot of the same people are there. And we're just like this. <clears throat> and um, yesterday I went to visit him for an hour visit and he had decided he wanted to leave. He wasn't going to make it 
and it wasn't going to go well, and my hair went right up on end like that. And uh, um, I knew that I had better, I had heard enough to know that I'd better get away from there and detach and not try to get in an argument with him. I, had, I was lucky enough to get to talk to a lady last night here after the Al-Anon meeting for about an hour, and I just asked her flat-out straight questions. I said, well, what the hell do you talk about <clears throat> if you don't talk about his alcoholism and my alcoholism? Um, what if he's doing something you think is wrong? Do you say, that's a shitty idea? Um, or do you just back off and let him do it? Or do you tell him it's a bad idea and then let him do it? Um, what if he does something good? Do you say, that's great? Or is that manipulating if you do that? <clears throat> and so I know I'm going to have to go a lot of meetings to find Alamon meetings to find out like, <laughs> the answers to these questions. But, but my questions are very basic. They're sort of, what do you talk about? And so if anybody would be willing, you know, when they get up and share about their own things, just say what they think about that, I'd, I'd be very grateful. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Come on, Susan. I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, hi, I'm Susan, and I'm a grateful Al-Anon. And two years ago, I wouldn't have told you that, so that's a big step. Um, I, ha- I feel I have to share, because I feel the program has given me my life again, as we all know. I'm a physician married to an alcoholic physician who, fortunately, is recovered. And um, it's been interesting because he went into recovery before I admitted that I had any problems and didn't believe he was an alcoholic for a long time. And it took a year of his being on sabbatical, my being pregnant with twins, and working a full-time job for me to hit my bottom and realize that um, there was something more out there that I needed. And fortunately, uh, we did, and it's been tremendous. Uh, It's been so terrific that my, I have four children, that as we recover, I had my seven-year-old in the bathroom the other day. Uh, I was trying to quietly go to the bathroom in peace, which is not possible in our house, who came screaming in and said, I am so tired, you and Daddy don't yell at us anymore, and I just can't stand it. (laughs) So I knew we were getting better. and my husband keeps saying if we work on it, it will be all right. But it was things like uh, Sunday shoes that used to drive me bananas. You know, I grew up in a family where you wore your best bib and tucker. And I remember calling my sponsor. When I think that I blush at what we talked to our sponsor about, but going bananas because the problem child um, had not only not worn her good shoes to church, she had worn different shoes. Um, and I just went bananas. You know, you just didn't do that. And she listened. And this is as early as last February. Um, I've come a long way. And she listened. And then she finally said, you know, Susan, how important is it? And I went, she's right. How important? You know, I don't know what my middle child now wears to church. No one that told me she's gone up to the altar barefoot. Uh, so I presume she's putting on something. But it was just like a revelation because it's those kind of things that um, it's the small things that get you. You know, it's it's those small little things that you think you have some control. 
and it's been a very interesting, without the program, I don't think my husband and I would have survived this last year because we went through a problem where I was offered a very good job. It's not a geographical cure. Uh, it's a reasonable job. And he initially said, sure, look at the job. And then when I accepted that he went bananas um, because I, as a female in the family, was planning to move and he had planned to divorce me cut off my money, you know, do all these things. And three years ago, I would have been a basket case over in the corner thinking I was poor, I couldn't manage, how was I going to... And instead, I prayed to God every day and said, if you think this is the right thing to do, uh, you know, lead me, I'm in your hands. And it has been, to me, a miracle, the changes that have come about, because he gradually kept saying, you know, I'm not pushing your buttons anymore. And one of his favorite things, for example, is to withdraw sex. Uh, and so five years ago that would have driven me crazy I mean when he wrote his PhD I didn't get laid for six months and and so when he attempted this uh, as one of his moves and he kept saying this isn't even bothering you and I said well yes I have a new lover it's God and that really it lasted only three weeks this time um, but it's been a miracle because he's not only turned around, he's looked for a job, he's found something he likes, and the whole family is now moving. And I pray, uh, with the help of the program, we'll continue to survive. So I can't tell you how good it is. I think one of the best things that has happened to me is giving up martyrdom. And I see that still in my mother. My mother is the best case of untreated Alanonism I've ever seen. She's still a martyr to everything. Uh, she's responsible for the Arab-Israeli conflict. <laughs> and one of the greatest reliefs in Al-Anon has been able to detach, to accept, and not have to be responsible for everybody else. It has just been wonderful to take care of yourself and everything else comes along. Um, it's very hard to do after 35 years of training in the opposite way, and there's a lot of learning to go on. But I've just really enjoyed giving up martyrdom. It's such a waste of time and energy, just as the anger is. And my anger is so exceptional now. I want you will all understand this. We are moving, and so I had to attach. I had to attack the kids' room. Now, I have two kids living in a little small room, and one wall was covered in things, and everyone lived in terror the day I was to attack that room because they know my anger um, becomes very high and they in fact plan to go down the street and visit somebody and you know what I managed to clean and tidy and throw out of that room without swearing yelling all those awful things I used to do and I kept saying inch, inch by inch it's a cinch and about three hours later I could actually see that other wall and I hadn't yelled yet and to me, that's a sign of what this program can do for you. I'm forever grateful. Thank you. An attitude I had was blaming. Everything that happened to me that I didn't like, it was someone else's fault. Um, a few weeks back at one of our home meetings, the topic was assertiveness. And I used to think, God, you know, that would be real neat to have some assertiveness. And the more I thought about it, for me it was, to be assertive was to be honest, to be honest with me. 
If I didn't like something or I was hurt, then I had to let people know how I felt. If I hurt someone's feelings or did something that I knew hurt someone else, I have to say I'm sorry. Because I can't go around anymore blaming others. Whatever I feel today is up to me. I have that choice today. Before I got here, I didn't think I had any choices at all. Um, we, I met Susan uh, officially out in the hall there, and um, she's real neat. Um, she knows some of our family members. Our son, who's in the program, married a year after he became, he came. He was in the program, and then a year later, he and his wife had a little baby, and that baby was born with Down syndrome. And Susan has worked with Mark and with Corrine and Eddie. You know, I look at that child today, he lives with us at the present, and his life, he just, it's like the whole world is so beautiful to him. And I see him struggling to do things over and over again, and he never gets frustrated. And sometimes I think what his life will be like in the future. But today, the only thing I see is that how much love that child has brought to, in our family. He plays along with the other six children, you know, just like one of the normal children. Um, it's taught us a lot. Before the program, I would have thought God did that to punish us or to punish me in some way. And uh, it's not like that at all. It's just been a whole new beautiful experience. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Julie. <laughs> Let's see. Today, I really do try to have an attitude of gratitude. And when uh, things happen in my life that three years ago I thought would have been devastating or extremely negative, I try to look at the good side of those things. And what I tend to do is when something goes wrong and I get angry, and I start picking at all the other things that are going on that I can justify why I should be angry. And uh, I can get out of that pretty quickly now instead of carrying it with me from days, days at a time. We were just in Hawaii a, a week or so ago, and my first day there I dragged my husband out onto the tennis courts. He plays about once every six months, and I play about four times a week. And... Uh, I took a step and I tore my calf muscle. Spent the whole morning in the doctor's office and uh, he said I did it on purpose because he was beating me and I just didn't want to have to admit to people that he beat me. But um, it was really painful and I was hobbling around Hawaii for a week. And I think prior to, uh, prior to this program, this shows the change in my attitudes, was that I thought, well, this could be a whole lot worse. I mean, my first reaction was that I might have um, uh, torn my Achilles tendon and then been in a cast up to my hip. So that didn't happen. I was grateful for that. It's going to take about six weeks to heal of not playing, which for me is a big deal. But I thought, if this had to happen, it really happened during the best time of the year. I'm in between challenges and I'm in between leagues. And, and I thought if I'm going to be laid up, I'd rather be laid up on the beach in Hawaii as opposed to sitting in my bedroom at home. And so I really did look at the positive aspect of having this injury. And um, 
And that's how it works a lot for me today. Um, somebody in one of the meetings that I that I go to, I don't know how many of you have heard this before, but it's really helped me out a lot, is that we can choose to start our day over if things aren't going right. And it doesn't matter. It can be four in the afternoon. And I really try to look at that. If I get myself into sort of a funk or down, I can say, I don't have to be in this mood for the rest of the day. I'm not going to allow what's happened to ruin my day for me. I can start over and I can start from right now and change my attitude now and go back and approach what I'm doing with a positive um, attitude instead of being negative and blaming or, caring or, or complaining to everybody about what's going on. And that has helped me a lot. And uh, I shared this the other day too with, with some people in a, in a meeting that uh, Again, we were out on the tennis court with, uh, I dragged Pat out a, a couple of weeks ago and he was in the car waiting for me and I was inside trying to get the house all straightened up and the beds made and the kids bed and, and I started feeling real resentful that I was inside doing all these things while he was waiting for us in the car. So when we got into the car, I decided, well, I have to express my feelings and tell him I'm feeling resentful. And I did, and he didn't like that too much. And we we ended up going to the over to the courts, and he's saying, "Well, now that we're late, you know, there probably aren't any courts." And we happened to get one right away. And then I asked him like where the racket was, and he was saying, "Well, Eric took the round one, and I told him not to take it." And just everything then from him from his point was really down. And when we went to go change sides, I said I mentioned that. I said, "Have you ever heard that before in a meeting that?" You can change your attitude. You can start your day over. And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, let's not ruin this morning. I'm, I apologize for my part in the action. And I said, let's try to start fresh and not have this ruin the morning and the day. Because I could see everything, all the negative things being pulled out. And he didn't really say too much. And we played and we ended up having a really nice day. And at, later on in the evening, he said, you know, I really appreciated you mentioning that to me because it really did make a difference. And so it turned out to be real positive. And I was real grateful for the fact that he was able to tell me that, that my suggestion <laughs> made a difference. So uh, this program has helped me a lot in, in trying to think about being more positive in my own attitudes and that I'm responsible for the way I'm feeling and I really can't put blame on other people, places and things if things aren't going my way. And uh, I really try to look at that and be grateful for the things that I have in my life today that um, look at the positive side instead of looking at the negative. Thank you. I love hearing people share all those experiences of changing their attitude. When I first got to the program, in fact, it was during uh, Spouse Week, I believe, they kept telling me I had to do those 12 steps, those 12 steps. And I looked at those 12 steps and I read them and I didn't understand a word of what they meant. So to start the program off for me, I had to latch on to those slogans. Those were just simple words and I could understand those. And that's how I started work in the program. I had to start with the slogans and then build up, build up to the steps. And if someone would have told me, Mary, to read the big book, I don't know if I could have done that. Because I used to love to read, but the latter part of the, the disease, 
I would read something and I'd read a paragraph and I would stop and I didn't know what I had read and I'd go back and I'd read it over and I'd do that four or five times and I still didn't know what I read. It was frustrating and I used to think that I just didn't have the capacity to learn, that I was really dumb, almost borderline on illiteracy. And it's amazing now, I, I read quite a bit. I love to read uh, the English mysteries and I go through two or three of those a week and I whiz through them and I understand what they're saying. And that's new. Um, a friend and I were laughing about that the other day about being able to read and understand what we're reading. But before when I read, my mind wasn't there. It was wondering what time was the son going to come home or if he would come home and how he was going to come home and and all these other things, constantly concentrating on all the other members of the family and what they were going to do and what I was going to say and all this stuff and what I could do to maybe change the situation. It was a relief when I got here and they said I had to take care of me and I had to take care of my responsibilities. And basically what I did, I kind of made a list of all the things that I used to think that I had to do. I always had these lists of things I had to do and I never really accomplished anything and that just made me feel more inferior because I never accomplished anything on the list. But what I did when I got into the program, I kind of made a list of all these things that I have to do. And amazing, most of those things on that list were not things that I had to do. They were other people's responsibilities. They were either my either sis or they were my children's or they were my sister's or my mother's or whatever. And a lot of those things on that list were God's responsibility, not mine. And I was willing to turn over those responsibilities and those things on that list that I had to do. And the whole time that I used to make these lists, there was always this other little fantasy list. And on that list was things that I thought that it would make me happy in life. And none of them were big things. Most of them were small things. Nothing was something that could be bought materialistically. Most of them were just little happenings, so to speak, with family members or something. It was amazing when I started working this program and listening to you people and following those 12 steps and getting a sponsor and going to meetings. I whittled down that have-to list and the things that were left on there that I thought I had to do. I changed my attitude. Instead of things that I had to do, I changed my attitude and made them things that I wanted to do. And it was amazing. I think in the last four years, everything on that want list has come true. And not by my doing. Not one thing that I do to cause any of those things to happen. They just happened. One in particular happened um, the Christmas. Sid got out of treatment in November, so we were a month in the program for Christmas time. And I used to, as a child, love to lay or sit by the Christmas tree and look at the Christmas tree lights. Just look at the tree and look at the ornaments and just say, oh, that's been, that's one of the oldest ones or that one came from here or that one came from there and just look at the colors and just look at the Christmas tree. And I used to think all those years how nice it would be if Sid would sit there quietly, not talking, and just share looking at the Christmas tree. And when I got in the program, they said I had to do things for me. And so Christmas came, and the tree was up, 
And one afternoon, there's some of the family members were there, and everybody was doing, watching TV, whatever, you know. And I thought, I need to do something nice for me. I'm going to go sit and look at the Christmas tree. And I did. And it was a few minutes later that Sid came in and sat. Didn't say anything. And we just sat and looked at the Christmas tree. So that was a little thing that I had wanted on that want list that God made come true. It's only through sobriety and this program. And I had an experience last week that really touched me. I looked through a lot of those house magazines, you know, with the gorgeous organized interiors. <laughs> and in a lot of them, you see these pots of orchids, you know, and these gorgeous orchids in bloom in the bedrooms and in the living rooms. And I think, never, you know. But it just so happens, our son that's in the program, when he sobered up, found a hobby, and it's growing orchids. And he built a greenhouse with his own two hands in our backyard, and it's full of orchids. And he and his wife and baby were going on a vacation, vacation job hunting situation. And he said, Mother, would you water the orchids? And being in the program, that has been Eddie's project, not Mother's. Mother does not interfere and say, isn't it time you go water the orchids? And, you know, is the heat, you know, it's been his, and I have been able to totally let him take care of that. But it was an honor that he asked me to take care and water his orchids while he was gone. But the night before they left, he had gone to a meeting, and in their meetings there, he belongs to the Orchid Association, the Bromeliad Association, the Down Syndrome Association, and AA. So he's kept quite busy. But he's taken some of his flowers and plants to the meeting, and he took a first, a second, and a third place ribbon. And he had them in the house. And he said, Mother, while I'm gone, he said, it's rather hot out there for the blooms. They won't survive very long. While I'm gone, why don't you take the plants and put them in the house where you would like them? To me... That was something beautiful, something I had not planned and I had absolutely no part of. There was this child that I never thought would live to be 20 years of age, growing orchids and letting me enjoy them. And I had no hand in that. It takes years for orchids to come to bloom. And Eddie, I know, just cares for them. God has allowed him that. And through God and through Eddie, I've been able to enjoy those little moments of pleasure. You can't put a price tag on things like that. I think most of what we feel in this program and our experiences you cannot put a price tag on it. I um, we went to an Al-Anon meeting convention in our hometown in June, and a member of the program from California, he and his wife would get speakers there, 
And I listened to John. And then a month later or so, I played his tape again and listened to it. And something he said in there really struck me. He said, and he talked about things that happened to him, and things that, when they happened, were really bad. And I could identify with what John was saying, that when some of these things happen to us, they're deeply tragic. And I knew what he meant by that. But that he feels the spiritual awakening of the program is today to be able to talk about those experiences and laugh. And to me that is so true. I've seen it happen in meeting after meeting. I've seen it happen here last night when Heather was speaking. We laughed quite a bit last night. But when we really think about it, when those things were happening to us, there was no laughter. There was only pain inside that we felt. But today we can talk and we can share and we can laugh. My daughter-in-law and I, a little while back, sat in the living in the den one day, and our conversation was about dumb things that we did, and we laughed about it. And I thought, gee, that's different. You know, I wouldn't have let anybody know I had done something dumb. You know, like burning rice twice, two pots, one right behind the other. <laughs> I would have cleaned that pot up in a hurry, boy, and put some candles in there to get rid of that smell, you know, I don't let nobody let anyone know that I had burned rice. And that's different to be able to sit there and talk about dumb things that we did and not feel insecure and not feel put down and not feel unworthy of other people's love or God's to, um, to love ourselves, to trust ourselves and to trust others. When I got to this program, I was dreading the rest of my life. I didn't see anything in it that was going to be a pleasure. I just figured from that point on it was downhill all the way. And today it's not like that. I know I have a lot of attitudes to change. Um, Today I know I'm not perfect and that I don't have to be perfect. If I was perfect, I wouldn't need to be here. I'm four years in the program and I am still learning. I think all of us are teachers in that sense that by when we share with others and we say how we feel and we say what happens to us, we're teaching others. So we're all in a sense students and teachers. That gives me a good feeling again to, to know that I can learn something different. Today I don't feel insecure that I do have the capacity today to learn something different. Before the program I was too afraid. I knew what it was like if I did something a certain way. I didn't have the courage to try to do it differently. And today I do have that that courage that God gives me to try something a different way. I used to describe my life when I got to this program as being on a merry-go-round and I wanted to get off and the damn thing wouldn't stop. That's how life was. I heard a friend the other night at a meeting say it was a dead-end road and I can identify with that too. 
life was a dead end road. I had traveled there and I'd come to a blockade. I was too humble to ask directions or a new way. I just sat there until I got to this program. And when I, they first told me about doing those 12 steps, I thought, oh, I've got to do this in a week or I'll never get better. <laughs> and I, they told me that on a Monday and Tuesday I went to all the lectures and I didn't hear a thing because I kept concentrating on how am I going to work those 12 steps. And at that time I was staying in an apartment in back of the treatment center and I was staying alone the first time I'd ever stayed alone in my life. And I got back there that night and I took out those books and I looked at those 12 steps and I said, you're not going to do this in a week. You've come all this way, all these years, doing things your way. It's just going to take time. Just do your best. And with that attitude, I guess it was like saying, God, I need your help. Give me the patience and give me the willingness to listen and I went back the next day and I was able to hear and understand what people were telling me and I hope I remain that way that I can continue learning and continue growing in this program it's time <laughs> we have about 10 minutes I believe is there anyone else that would like to share this is two gentlemen Hi, I'm Marty, and I'm a grateful member of AA and l <clears throat> If you're not having a good day, just lower your expectations. <clears throat> I, I just heard that recently. I thought I'd, I'd been around a while, and I thought I heard it all. But <laughs> and I just discovered my wife is sitting here, and maybe I'm not supposed to be up here sharing. <laughs> but I was very struck when you uh, talked about your grandchild having Down syndrome because I have two sons. One is 32 and the other is 16. And my 16-year-old is a Down's child. And when you said that, there was this inrushing of sympathetic noises from the crowd. And, and uh, what I heard, what I felt was that you felt badly that uh, someone had a Down's child. And then I felt badly that you felt badly. <laughs> because uh, a Downs child, like any other child, is a mixed blessing. And all children's children are mixed blessings, as I think all of us who are parents know. <clears throat> but in listening and thinking about what was being talked about attitudes here this morning, I thought to myself, because I'm becoming convinced that my life has meaning in the context of what happens to me and other people in it, that my relationships with other people, and that I'm being taught things that enable me to uh, to be a more appropriate, uh, intelligent, rational, helpful human being, and that that those uh, things that I'm capable of doing are not because of my capabilities, but because God puts me in the right place at the right time so that I can get what I need and I can give what I need, what someone else needs. <clears throat> um, what I was struck with as I listened this morning was the fact that 
at the time my 16-year-old was born, my 16-year-old my Down's child was born, my other child was into drugs and alcohol, <clears throat> and uh, our life was chaotic at home. It was incredible because I was into booze and he was into heroin and it was just madness. <clears throat> and uh, and this child came along. And I had been for 16 years on this older child's case because he had all this marvelous promise and it was all going down the tubes. And, and I was agitated and upset over it and we were constantly fighting and he would do what I wanted him to do. And, uh, and I had all these expectations for him because he was so bright and so beautiful and I loved him so and my expectations for him didn't do him any good and they didn't do me any good <clears throat> and then this other child came along and I had no expectations for him and, and he was beautiful too they were both beautiful they both are beautiful my 16-year-old Downs child put me on the mud in my 30-foot sloop last week as he helped me steer out the channel. Sometimes his help isn't all I need. <laughs> but we got off the mud and went off and had a great time in a 25-knot breeze, the two of us. And he taught me to be accepting, but I was never accepting of my oldest child until after I got sober and then I got well and then I got into Al-Anon, and then I learned some things about how to love from you people. And I began to learn how to love my oldest son. And that was about seven years ago. And all this time, he's still out there <clears throat> doing his thing. But I stopped uh, laying anything on him at all, and I just told him that I loved him. And every chance I got, which was not too frequent because he would drift in and out of our life, I would hug him and tell him how great he was and how much I loved him and what a neat person he was because he was a neat person and he is a neat person. And miracle of miracles, last January, <clears throat> he got into treatment and he got well and he's in a program and he has a son of his own, a little two-year-old. And he brought his son and his wife uh, to my daughter's wedding this June. And he's working the program. And he's getting well. And it's so wonderful to watch and see. And I still have no expectations. And I still tell him I love him. And I do. And he said to us, uh, Joanne and I, the other day, on the phone, and his life is not all real good yet. He's got lots of problems in it. But he's working the program. And he said how wonderful it was to have been home and to be in a place where people loved him just because he was himself. And that's a lesson for me and I hope to share with y'all. Thank you.